on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 154, another day closer to the NFL season. First half's going to be baseball, though. A couple of teams who are surging, a couple teams who have completely fallen apart. Of course, the weekly awards. Uh, Yankees talk. Who doesn't love shitting on the Yankees? Um, exactly. Base, the baseball half, yeah. world is better when the Yankees suck ass. I cannot complain about that one. Oh, uh, second half, man. College football preview. Week zero is coming up, uh, which is really week double zero because week one, most of the power five gets a bye. So <laughs> we'll, we'll break down what you should be paying attention to and what doesn't matter. Heisman and Natty predictions for me. Kyle, too, if he's got them, of course. And like I said, fantasy football. People are starting to draft. I've been getting those calls. Hey, dude, can you help me? Uh, so we got our top 12 running backs. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get right into it with our opener. And I got a couple of things here. And one of them, something that is not going to be in the media, of course, because it's something that I had personally. Uh, it was with our working with the A's. We got the opportunity to talk to Nick Allen yesterday and kind of you know interview him about his uh you know paths to big leagues and stuff like that and i think uh when you are as big as a baseball fan or sports fan in general like me and skyler are you you really get to see the player uh on the tv and even in interviews when they're talking to reporters and whatnot but it's very cool getting to meet the person of nick allen and even though you know he hasn't had the crazy season or anything like that being able to see what goes through his mind and how he prepares for, for games and the season in general and getting through 162 games is really, really cool to see. But the other side of my opener is something that a lot of A's fans saw last night, and that's Brett Merker hitting his walk-off home run uh, to give the A's the victory. But what he did after might have been the coolest thing that he did uh, because we had a Zach Bryan concert at the Oakland Arena yesterday. He's a pretty big country artist. He's got like two or three million followers on Instagram. Uh, and about 30 minutes after hitting his walk-off home run, Brent Rooker posted on his Instagram story of him at the concert. That's sick. But then I fell asleep, you know, so I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. He's at the concert. I wake up in the middle of the night, check my phone, and I'm looking at Ryan Noda's story. And Ryan Noda is at the concert as well, too. And he's, like, standing where, like, Zach Bryan and all these people walk by. And Zach Bryan walks by, like, going to the stage and whatnot. And right behind him, I, I hear Noda going, that's my guy! That's my guy! And it's Rooker walking onto the stage with Zach Bryan. And then the next thing on his story is Rooker on the stage singing with Zach Bryan. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So that's some pretty cool stuff there. You know, I mean, Rooker's from, I think he's from Mississippi. I know he went to Mississippi State, but I don't know if he's actually from Mississippi, but pretty cool stuff there. He was having a good time. I can only imagine with that and you know, feeling of hitting a walk-off home run and then doing that an hour later what must be like. Got to be an awesome feeling, Kyle. But I'm going in a different direction here. We always joke about preseason football, but last night, Monday Night Football, was an awesome game to watch. All right, the Ravens had a 24-game preseason win streak on the line. And they couldn't win it at the end, man. Jake Fromm came in for Washington and delivered some absolute strikes. I mean, the guy had four drops from his receivers. You got to remember, these are guys who probably won't make the team, the guys he's throwing to. 
and he still managed to get him in field goal range. I, I was extremely impressed with Sam Howell, Jake Fromm, Jacoby even a little bit, and even Baltimore's guys. Zay Jones played in the first quarter. He looked really good, the rookie. And, uh, of course, Anthony Brown. Zay Flowers. Who, what did I say? Zay Jones? Zay Jones, Of course yeah. I did. Zay Flowers, the like, first round from Boston College. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, streak is over. Hurts my layup, but it was still an awesome game. I like watching the uh, the college guys, you know, try to make a team. Yeah, the biggest betting jinx in the world from Skyler Scranton right there. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and get into where's your head at. We'll start the same way that we do every single week with the player, pitcher, rookie of the week, and a lot of good choices this week. Uh, I guess we'll start off with rookie because I felt like that one was the most intriguing to me. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gunnar Henderson here. Um, you know, maybe a little little under the radar because of how crazy Julio Rodriguez was, but he was just as good. Mm-hmm. Nine for 17, 530 average, two big homers. Uh, he destroyed the A's, and he's going to be an absolute force in that division. If he can be an infielder hitting 30 homers a season, that's that's crazy. That's why he was a top prospect. Yeah, there's a few guys that stood out. Uh, Gail off, of course, having 10 yeah. hits over the week. Uh, Yuri Perez had 10 Ks and uh, six shutout innings against the Dodgers on Saturday. But you got to go with Gunnar Henderson, man. Nine for 17, two homers and five RBIs. Came up in the ninth inning of the game on Sunday against the A's. Just seeing a single for the cycle, and he hit a double. So you can practically throw a cycle in there as well, too, for him. So crazy week for Gunnar. Really has broken out over these past few months after a slow start in April and May. And he looks to be a guy who's going to be a superstar and, you know, the mainstay in that lineup in Baltimore. Moving on to pitcher of the week. Spencer Strider had seven innings pitched, a walk, a hit, and 10 Ks. It's it's hard to go away from that. Spencer Strider did exactly what he's been doing all season long. Honorable mention to Lance Lynn, though. Got another win. He's 3-0 with a sub-2 ERA with the Dodgers. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going Spencer Strider as well, too. The seven innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, 10 Ks is pretty special. Strider's ERA isn't, you know, maybe where exactly he wants it this year, but he's still striking out nearly every single person that he faces. So this was good to see him really put it all together and, and have a good outing where he doesn't allow, you know, any runs or anything like that. And if he stays like this, the Braves are going to be pretty damn hard to beat come playoff time. Moving into player of the week, uh, Man, how can you not go Julio here, right? Yeah, I didn't mean to understate Julio's week by uh, shouting out Gunnar Henderson here because J-Rod did something that hasn't been done in a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. 18 hits and 27 at-bats. That's a nearly a 700, 700 average for the week. Eight RBIs, completely mashed. Um, and Seattle's in the race now because of him. It's crazy. Yeah, we'll talk more about Seattle specifically here in a minute. Uh, but going back to J-Rod, yeah, 18 for 27, he had four straight four-hit games and 17 hits over a four-game period was the most in MLB history. So that's pretty crazy to see. Not only did he have that, you know, 18 hits in the league, he also had five stolen bases as well, too. So he got on a ton and was just running. And I have him on my fantasy team. So it was good to have, uh, you know, that go down for me because he was absolutely incredible over this past week. So Julio gets the player of the week nods. And I guess we'll just throw that right into the Mariners talk because they've been going crazy. 
currently on a seven-game win streak. Over the last seven games, they've scored 55 runs. Together, they're only two games out in the AOS, despite still being in third place with how close it is between them, Houston, and Texas. How much stock are you putting into the Seattle run? What do you think, Sky? I think they're definitely capable of winning the West. Texas and Houston have their own issues. Uh, they're very similar to Seattle right now. I, if I had to bet right now, they'd probably win a playoff series against Minnesota. That seems like that's their cap for the season, just because the lineup has been below average. Uh, when Julio slows down, it's going to be difficult. The pitching staff has been amazing, but we know how these playoff games go. As soon as the starter leaves the game, anything can happen. Yeah, it's uh, with Julio being as good as he is, obviously, like in this past week, you're not going to see that consistent. He's not going to hit 700 over the course of the rest of the year. And even in those seven games, they've they've allowed 28 runs. So it's not like their pitching has been perfect either. And uh, that's kind of been their bread and butter this year when they have won games is that they've been winning games, you know, allowing a run or two and, you know, scoring maybe two or three runs and having their bullpen and starters really shut it down on their starters haven't really done that over this past week. So I think we're going to see them kind of regress back to what they've been once they Julio does slow down to the point where he's not getting four hits every single game. And I mean, as of right now, it's pretty tough to not pick them as a wild card team. Mm-hmm. I'm not throwing in the stock where, you know, this is going to be a world series run type team. I just don't see it from them. I don't see it from their lineup doing it consistently. I know Cal Raleigh is heating up as well too. So that's been something that's big for them. But again, like you said, if they face Minnesota in the first round, yeah, they, they should they should be able to beat Minnesota. But if you're going against, you know, Baltimore or Houston in a playoff series, I know they just swept Houston in Houston this past weekend, but it's a different animal when Houston gets into October. So I'm still taking the Astros over them in, you know, a five-game set or whatever yeah. that ends up being. So I think a, a division series type team is what I would say the ceiling is for this Mariners squad. So I'm not throwing too much stock into it. We're going to talk about a team that doesn't really come up too often on our episodes just because they're so boring, but they've got some bats in their lineup that are finally heating up. It's the Detroit Tigers. We're talking about how how much impact their young bats can have in, in order to make their team competitive next year. Because as of right now, they're 57 and 68, technically not out of it in the central, which is how bad that division is, but they're not making the playoffs this year. Uh, and just over the last 30 days, their big three in the bats, Kerry Carpenter, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, have been absolutely amazing. Carpenter, eight homers, 18 RBIs, 326, and an OPS over 1,000 over the last 30 days. Torkelson, we're finally seeing the breakout for him. Eight homers, 16 RBIs, hitting 274 with a 967 OPS over these last 30 days. Riley Green, who's been battling an injury but has came back over these past month or so, Four homers, hitting 293 with an OPS of 851. We know their you know, system is okay when it comes to prospects. Do you think this team can you know, really push into competitiveness in 2024? Or are we just going to see the Tigers go back to being mediocre? I think they should be pushing for the division. The AL Central is always up for grabs. Like you were mentioning, Torkelson, Carpenter specifically, have been tearing it up. The last month in the top 10 in fan graph war, at their positions, uh, which is awesome, especially for a team that's not really in the race. It looks like they're going to be ready to roll. I still think A.J. Hinch is the guy that's going to get them there, but it's so inconsistent. 
They're so injury prone. Everybody uh, puts up unexpected numbers. Uh, the pitching staff, again, it, it, they're great names with great stuff, but they can't seem to put it all together at the same time because someone's always hurt. So yeah. I think I think it's definitely possible. But I, if we're talking about stock like Seattle, I'm not putting any stock in them yet. Yeah, Detroit was a team. I think when when they hired AJ Hinch and and signed Javier Baez before he you know completely fell off, we we put a little bit of I don't know about hope into this team, but a little bit of, oh like okay you know maybe this team you know turns some heads and, and finds a way to you know be 500 last year, but with how bad Javier Baez has been and just the rest of their team outside of these three guys over this past month, I just I can't do it. I uh, I love their pitching staff when healthy. But Casey Mize has not been healthy. Tariq Skubal, I mean, he's just now starting to come back over this past month or so. When he's healthy, he's great. But they're probably going to be losing Erod this year. So we're not going to be seeing him most likely in a Tigers uniform next year. And that's a guy who has pitched at the level of an ace this past mm-hmm. year. So uh, you're going to be relying more on, uh, you know, Matt Manning, guys like that. And kind of the more of the emergence between guys like Jackson Job, Wilmer Flores, Ty Madden guys that are all in the minor league system right now. I just don't think they got it comparative to, to a team like the guardians, even though they haven't been great, their pitching staff is going to be amazing next Mm -hmm. year. And you can expect you know, some of the regression that we've seen from some of the hitters in in Cleveland to kind of bounce back a little bit next year and Minnesota. I mean, they, the record might not show up, but they have a pretty, pretty stacked team when things are healthy for them as well too. So I think the Tigers, you know, might be honestly just right around the same spot next year where they're, you know, maybe looking at us and saying, hey, you know, we're not out of it in August, but we're going to need a miracle run in order to get in. And so maybe like a 76 win team or something like that. I think, you know, once Max Clark comes up and if he is the prospect, everybody's saying that he is, then he should probably help turn this team around and help them be relevant in the central. But until then. I don't see it over there in Detroit. Can't have shit in Detroit. It's kind of last thing we're going to talk about. We're talking about the Yankees and just how bad they've been. They haven't won since the last time that we did an episode. They're losers of eight in a row. They got swept by Boston over the weekend in New York. So, you know, that's got to sting for them. Currently four games under 500. I don't think they've been under 500 since 19, like, 92 or something like that i forget the exact year but it's been a long time for them and you know twitter is just going absolutely crazy we know there's going to be a scapegoat for this you know bad season will it be boone will it be cashman will be some of the players i saw a tweet saying that it should be the yankees brand that they need to you know take away this hair policy that they've had for a long time. They need to add alternate jerseys, get a city connect, do all this stuff. That will never happen. And that's just crazy to see how insane the Yankee fans have gone in this one year of being mediocre. So it's fun to see Skyler. Who do you think becomes a scapegoat for this bad season in New York? Well, it's gotta be Volpe. He never turned into Jeter. <laughs> no, for real, it's going to be Brian Cashman. Uh, I, in my opinion, Yankees Twitter was the most disappointed that they didn't buy at the deadline. When in reality, I don't really blame them. They had a shitty season. Uh, it's similar to the Mets, where the big salaries aren't the same guys anymore. You know, Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, Severino—that's like fifty percent of the payroll right there. And those guys were not good. 
Uh, I would blame a combination of everybody. You know, le- I'm leaning towards the trainers too in New York. A little bit of Boone, Stanton, Rodon, uh, because those guys just didn't come through this year. But I, like you said, it's more of an organizational problem, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll see if the big names can pull it together next season because this isn't the year. Yeah, it's uh... – I think there's a lot of different ways you can really look at, at guys who, who to blame here. I mean, you can blame the pitching staff and, you know, Rodon only starting six games and having a seven, three year array Cortez being out for most of the year and ERA around five Severino just being batting practice for the entire season is something as well too. And even having to start Yanni Brito for 13 games mm-hmm. this year, is something that's big for them since Montas has been out for the entire season. <sighs> I mean, it, you should be blaming Cashman here, I think, is the biggest thing. And I we were talking about this last week where they have a lineup where they will start Jake Bowers, Billy McKinney, and Franchi Cordero on, on days. And that just is not going to be enough for you when it comes to, to winning games in the big leagues. I know that they made some moves yesterday. Uh, so Everson Pereira, I think, is getting called up, yeah. as well as Oswaldo Peraza. Uh, so he... Or Oswald Peraza, not Oswaldo, my bad. Uh, I believe they are both coming up today. Peraza was up last year a little bit and has been up a little bit this year. Uh, but Pereira would be making his MLB debut. And Jason Dominguez also got sent up to AAA. So I think in all reality of it, I don't think it's going to end up being Cashman. But it will end up being the players. And I think we're going to see a lot of turnover in this roster next year where the Yankees maybe sign not replacement level players, but maybe some guys that are a little bit above average uh, to kind of help, you know, get past the Rizzo of what he's been since his concussion type thing. Uh, DJ LeMayhew. I, I I mean, IKF has been solid this year, but you can't be playing him, you know, in left field when he's got an OPS at, at 680. Uh, Bader has been underwhelming. Stanton has been, I mean, we kind of know it's, this was going to happen with Stanton, but they just don't have anybody besides Judge that is a real force in that lineup right now. So uh, it's got to be the players. Uh, I think that's what it's what what it comes down to. Let's go ahead and send it to uh, halftime, though. Together, we'll do the uh, top twelve running backs for fantasy after halftime. So uh, tell right. me about these preseason notables, Skyler, that you saw in preseason. Week two, week three for you. So I got four notable quarterbacks. I wanted to keep it short and sweet because most of these numbers don't matter. But these guys in specific are on the bubble. So we're going to start with Aiden O'Connell, the Raiders quarterback. Rookie has uh, taken over the preseason, really. He's been the face right now. 304 passing yards on 72% passing. Three touchdowns, no picks. My opinion is how did we let this guy fall to the fourth round? You know, Because he's 25. (laughs) That's part of it, too. But so were Kirk Cousins and Dak, other fourth-rounders who were thrown into the fire their rookie years and still found success. So I think that's definitely something to watch out for. I'm not saying Jimmy's uh, not going to get his shot. He will. But this is a guy to watch for sure. Yeah, it's – I mean, with Jimmy, I think we see the injury as kind of being something that's inevitable with him. There's going to be a point where he's probably going to get hurt and miss a game or two at least. And – uh if Aiden O'Connell is what he looks to be, then maybe he runs with that opportunity and becomes a starter of the future in, you know, an extended absence from Garoppolo. 
I still like Jimmy G. I think what he's going to do is, you know, level out the highs and lows that we saw from Carr over these past few years, especially. But it's good to know that Aiden O'Connell is a guy that maybe we can rely on and not have to throw fucking yeah. Brian Hoyer out there when we're in a spot where, where we need a win in week, you know, 14 or whatever. And Jimmy Garoppolo's got a hurt foot. Respectable. All right, the next guy's going to be DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie Cleveland Brown quarterback. He's number one in passing yards this, uh, this what is it called, the preseason. Thank you. He has an extra game, training. though, so it's Mickey Mouse. With, with the extra game, of course, but he's still passing 65%, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, another interesting story because he was coming into the offseason as the fourth-string quarterback. Now he's, he's going to win third string, and he should push Josh Dobbs for that second spot at any time this season. So it, it's cool to watch him. He looks good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been a big DTR guy for a long time now, even, you know, before he was really a big guy at UCLA. He's just fun to watch. And I think uh, Dobbs is a pretty good guy to have there in Cleveland with him, where you, especially in the early in the season, say if Watson goes down, you're going to want to put Dobbs in there yes. just because the inexperience from DTR. But once you get to like week eight, week nine, and you have these games where maybe DTR hasn't even been dressing now at this point, but has been talking to Joshua Dobbs the entire game and kind of getting insight from him because we know that Dobbs is a guy who's you know pretty damn intelligent when it comes to being a quarterback in the NFL. And even though he hasn't played a ton, He's got that kind of league-wide respect as being a you know one of those solid backup guys. So uh, I like DTR a ton. He doesn't really have a chance to be a you know starting QB in the league unless you know something unforeseen happens with Deshaun Watson. But I mean he's done unforeseen things before, so I'm not gonna you know doubt Deshaun Watson is in his ability to disappoint others. So uh, oh yeah, go DTR. You know yeah. I'm a fan of that for sure. You know, speaking of uh, another quarterback here who we weren't sure if his game would translate to the NFL, that's Malik Willis from Tennessee. I like comparing him to DTR, a very similar skill set here. But Malik Willis played the entire Week 2 preseason game with Will Levis resting. 10 for 17, 85 passing yards, a touchdown and a pick, but they won. So you can you can take what you want, but Kyle's shaking his head. I agree. I it's think this, this is not good enough. Yeah. It's not good enough for Malik Willis, and it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, he, was, he was as raw as we ever seen a, a QB beat in these last few years. But let's end it on a good note here. I like what I saw from Kyle Trask, Tampa Bay. He's the backup. He's passing 68%, a touchdown and a pick, and he played my Jets last week, so I watched him. Um, Leftwich was only letting him throw the checkdowns in the first half. It was kind of frustrating me. Like, can we actually see if this guy's good or not? But the third stringer goes down. In the third quarter, he comes back in, and he lets it rip. He hits his deep shots. They complete the comeback. Watch out, Baker. This yeah. guy's got a cannon. Baker ended up getting the starting job, I believe, yeah. today they announced that. But Kyle Trask is a guy who is kind of polarizing because he was picked decently high a few years ago and has obviously been behind Brady and uh, Blaine Gabbert as well, too, over there, I'm pretty sure. So. Mm -hmm. He's learned a lot seeing how much that translates to his game in preseason football is one thing I, I'd enjoy getting a chance to see him at least play a couple games this year, uh, you know, during the regular season. Absolutely. And that's going to be it for the preseason notables here. Just a couple guys. I've been really interested in their storylines this uh, preseason. So let's move on. 
college football week zero. There are two games I want to mention, and I know it's week zero. They're probably not going to be great games, but this first one, the first game of the year, 1130 Saturday morning, it's Notre Dame number 13 in the nation hosting Navy. That's Sam Hartman's first game for Notre Dame in the Tommy Reese offense. A great quarterback from Wake Forest uh, who finally has some pieces around him. And Navy isn't the same team when they had Keenan Reynolds. Obviously, they haven't been ranked since then. But they only lost to Notre Dame by three last season. So keep that one in mind. I'm going to be tuning in for sure. Uh, And the last one here, Saturday night, it's San Jose State at number six USC. It's the big night game for week zero. Um, This one won't be close, but it's a first look at the Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, with all of his new weapons. So, of course, I'll be watching at least the first half of that one. Yeah, that's uh, that's obviously going to be the more, I'd say, I don't know about maybe nationally watched. Maybe with the night game, it might be a little bit interesting. But uh, yeah. Caleb Williams obviously going to get the TV attention. And, and then people in the Bay Area, I mean, San Jose State's been a decent program over these past few yeah. years, and they've been respectable. So They've been bowl game we'll, appearances in there. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Should be a blowout, though. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of Caleb Williams and the Heisman, I got my Heisman prediction, man. I I really wanted to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's the best player in the nation. He could have 15 catches every game. But I have a feeling they're going to be out of playoff contention, and he might sit out. I think that's very possible. So I'm going to go with Kate Klubnick from Clemson. We saw him in his his start against UNC in the ACC championship game. It was amazing. He won MVP of that game, 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. Clemson's due for another big year. They've been so close, even with DJ at quarterback, who hasn't been good. He's got a great team around him. The Dodgers draft pick? (laughs) Dodgers pitcher, DJ Uyunglele. (laughs) But yeah, I I, I think that he has a great team around him. Some pieces, Will Shipley running back, some good receivers, and a great defense, of course, just like Trevor Lawrence had. Yeah. uh, I'm going with the easy pick. Caleb Williams. Mm. I think it's really tough to go against him. And I think uh, this year is been, is going to be one of those like transition years that we see in college football where these past few years, I mean, we saw uh, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud play for like two to three years. And we always have this even span every three or four years where we get this kind of new age of quarterbacks. Uh, the only thing that's making this year different is that we have a guy who's been here and is probably the one of the best prospects that we've seen in a long time in Caleb Williams. So I, I mean, I got to go with him. Hey, there's I don't just, blame you, man. There's just no way I can. <laughs> He's been awesome so far. Uh, for the Natty, kind of a boring pick here, but I think Alabama is going to have a, a crazy resurgence after the embarrassment last year of being left out of the playoff. Uh, they're going to beat Georgia. Finally going to get them. Uh, Jalen Milrow finally beats them. They have Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid McKinstry, top 10 picks, superstars on the defense. I think three and four are going to be Clemson. I think Clemson's better than Florida State. And obviously, if Klubnik's going to win the Heisman, they're going to be in the college football playoff. And Michigan will get that fourth spot over USC, but they're going to get oh, the kicked. They're going to wow. get the kicked again. Shout out to USC. Shout out to LSU. Great teams going to be in the race. Even Tennessee, sure. Just if anyone can get an upset over Bama, I just don't think it's going to happen this year. I'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll stay bold. I'll, I'll stick with uh, USC going over uh, Georgia. That'd be awesome. That'd be it's something. That would be yeah. a lock as number one overall pick if it isn't already. If yeah. Caleb Williams takes on that Georgia defense, the uh, last year of the Pac-12. Yeah, going out with a bang. 
Oh yeah. That make me cry, man. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, that's, that's going to be the halftime for me. Some college football and preseason, you know, we live for this shit. So it's going to be a great college season, you know, so yeah. much unknown. It's going to be hectic. That's what I was saying. We'll move into uh, the second half now with our top 12 running backs in the fantasy year this year. We did top 10 for QBs, but we decided to, you know, keep it with the RB1s in, yeah. in this running back time because, you know, if you're not playing in a 12-man league, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, so we'll start it off with any honorable mentions. I don't have any, so. No. no. Okay, perfect. Uh, number 12. For the sake of being different, I decided to go with Jameer Gibbs. I think there's a decent chance that we, you know, see him, I don't, I don't know about breakout, but have a solid season in Detroit. There's always this rookie running back or guy who's not a rookie who comes out of nowhere to kind of be the guy who turns a lot of heads in the fantasy world. I think Jameer Gibbs has a chance to kind of be that guy. Uh, and, you know, he won't be a guy that you pick up in waivers, but those non, you know, crazy football fans are not going to know the name of Jameer Gibbs as well as, you know, yeah. everybody else. So of course I like him. Yeah. I don't have Jameer Gibbs on my list just because I, I would rather take the other guys in the second round. Uh, I'm probably going to wait to the third and probably try to take a Garrett Wilson. Amon Ra type beat in the second round, but I got Joe Mixon here as my, my bottom RB one off the field issues, but P Ryan's gone. So that means more third down touches. I'm going strictly numbers here with Joe Mixon. Yeah. Number 11 for me, I went with Najee Harris. I think he's going to have a decent bounce back here. Pittsburgh seems to be a bit better as a team. I I just think the only thing is that they're just not, I mean, they're better as a team, but the AFC is just so damn good that it's going to be really tough to get consistent carries in a game where, you know, you're going to have to put up a lot of points to win the game. Uh, I like Najee though. I think he's going to, you know, hopefully get some more touchdowns this year because he was struggling with that last year. Uh, in a decent year, just, you know, fringe RB1 territory. All right. I got uh, Travis Etienne at 11 from Jacksonville. Uh, he can still be up here even if Bigsby has a good amount of touches. I think they're both going to get used a lot this year, and he's going to have so many touches running the ball and catching. Uh, so he's going to be an RB1 if he stays healthy. Yeah. Number 10, I went with uh, Jonathan Taylor. He... uh I don't think he's going to have the best season comparative because maybe he holds out a few games or we see a little bit of a stalemate between him and Ursa, the owner in Indianapolis where I highly doubt we're going to see him play, you know, every single game this year, just injuries aside. So Jonathan Taylor, I, I think I'm going to stay away from him in fantasy drafts, but you know, still RB 10 is going to be a decent running back. Just not for his, his draft stock. Yeah, also got Jonathan Taylor at 10. He's going to be fine wherever he goes, but I took him number one last year in a draft. I won't be drafting him this year, like you said. Um, he's still going to put up RB1 numbers, I'm sure, but just on somebody else's team. Yeah. Number nine, I went with Travis Etienne. I am a huge Etienne guy. I liked him last year. I drafted him last year and ended up helping me You know, have one of the better teams in our league last year. I think he's got the potential to be a top five running back in fantasy just because of, you know, what he does in the receiving game and how explosive he is. That's his ceiling. I think we'll, he will end up will be around nine. Uh, he's going to be a guy who, you know, has those explosive plays in weeks where he really, really pops off. 
but he's you know might have those weeks where he doesn't have the greatest game or anything like that. So the consistency might not be there to be you you know be in the top five confidently. But he's gonna have games that go up there with you know CMC, Chubb, Saquon, Pollard, guys like that. So ETN at number nine. All right, uh, at number nine, I got Josh Jacobs, the Raider. It's almost impossible to follow up what happened last season, but I still think he's going to finish top 10. It's a similar offense. I am just going to take the the PPR gods above him. You know, that's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Number eight, I went with Derrick Henry. I think this is kind of going to be the year we start to see Henry slow down. He's been a guy who's been so consistent for what feels like a long time in, in running back years, but it's, I think it's slowly going to start to get to him this year. I think uh, once they move on to Will Levis at some point in the season, or if they're forced to play Malik Willis, it's not going to be pretty for Henry. I think uh, they're going to try to throw the ball a little bit more with them and try to go away from what Tannehill was, was so good at over there in Tennessee. So uh, Henry, I have an eight, you know, not in the top three guy that he was a few years ago though. All right. Number nine, uh, eight. Mm -hmm. Eight. Ramondre Stevenson. I think he's going to score so many touchdowns that he just gets above Josh Jacobs because again, this is the workhorse. I don't care about Zeke. He's their best offensive player. They're, they actually have an offensive coordinator. Now they're going to find ways to get him the ball. Zeke might take all those one yard touchdowns, dude. Number seven. I went with Jacobs. Uh, looks like his holdout is or lockout, whatever is going to be ending here in the near future. It looks like he will most likely be reporting before week one, which if he's playing week one and past that, you know, Jacobs is going to be good for us. And uh, I see him being pretty consistently a guy who gets, you know, 60 to 70 yards with the touchdown maybe, but I don't see him having the crazy games they did last year. I think the offense is going to be a bit more, well-rounded than it was heavily relied on, you know, Devonte and, and Jacobs last year. Number seven, I'm going to go with B. John Robinson. He's a rookie, a crowded backfield, unexperienced offense, but they're going to go to him a lot. They're going to run the ball every freaking play. So he's still going to be a top 10 guy. Uh, I'm just a little, little weary since, uh, I mean, Algier was amazing last year. He was great. Like how, how can you not give him the ball? But yeah. both of them can exist in the same offense i think moving into the top half of our rb1s at number six i went with the rookie Bijan robinson i think he's gonna be a guy who you know again has those explosive runs much like etn but since he's a rookie and on a team that isn't that good we're not going to see him get to that top three threshold where he's going to have games or you know falcons get killed and he probably has like six or seven carries and maybe a catch or two but when he has his games and the Falcons are in it, he's going to be one of the guys who, you know, has one of the best matchups in fantasy football. And we're going to see him go off for some games. I just don't think we're going to see it as consistently for uh, for mm-hmm. him to be a, a top two or three guy. Yeah. At uh, number six, I'm going to go with Derrick Henry. He's got no competition at all. When he's healthy, he hasn't slowed down. I know the numbers do when he's hurt, which is mm-hmm. pretty much what's going to decide this whole thing. But yeah. that's a guy I can trust. And if I'm taking a running back in the first round, I want to be able to trust him. 
Yeah. And I think also something to point out without this or throughout this entire list mm-hmm. is that with running backs, injuries are inevitable. You know, things are going to happen. Obviously, we're right in this list on, you know, the majority of these guys staying healthy for the entire year, which we know this will not be true. You mm-hmm. know, there's a very good chance by week six that, you know, one or two of these guys is out for the entire season at that point, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so, if, you know. Say CMC gets hurt or something like that. Don't be yelling at us for why do you guys put him in his top three or something like that. Uh, we can't predict their Achilles. Uh, but number five for me, I went with Tony Pollard. You know, it's it's his backfield in Dallas for the most part, except for, you know, Deuce Vaughn maybe getting some third down touches or whatever that may be. Uh, he is explosive as it gets when it comes to a running back. He, he's had the big plays. Uh, and now he doesn't have to split time with Zeke at all. He he's gonna blossom this year. Top five running back in the league, uh, as far as fantasy goes. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it, you know, just in general. But Pollard's gonna have a big year. Uh, I would grab him in your fantasy league if if you can. Yeah, uh, my number five back's gonna be Saquon. The offense is completely revolved around him, and I, I do think the Giants are gonna take a step back this season, which could affect them but he's still going to get his, you know, uh, it's, it's not a bad offensive line. Obviously Andrew Thomas has taken a massive step up. They have Evan Neal ready to do the same, but I, I probably wouldn't draft Saquon in the first round. Yeah. Number four for me is going to be where I went with Saquon last year. I drafted Saquon in our league as well too. Uh, and of course I ended up, paying dividends for me because he was healthy for most of the year and he was really really good for for the most of the part as well too uh this year i think if he stays healthy this will be right around where we see him he's a guy who is going to have a one of the highest workloads in the league we're going to see him you know make catches as well too not just uh being in the run game specifically uh, i think touchdowns might be a little bit easier for him this year i think the wide receiver core and and having waller there as well too at tight end is going to be a bit more respectable to those guys so maybe you're not putting everybody in the box to you know help clamp down on the run you got to respect those guys on the outside as well too uh that will probably also open a couple more running lanes for him as as well with with having all those guys so maybe we see zeke have some some bigger runs than he did last year I i know he had a lot of big runs in the early part of the year but later on it was it was a lot of tough sledding for him just because of everybody knew the ball was going to him with how good he is so Hopefully we see Saquon, you know, in that top four spot. He's a guy when healthy, he's fun to watch, and it's great for football to see him be doing good. Number four, I'm going to go with Tony Pollard here above Saquon. I, I'm banking on the Cowboys' offense. I think it's it's a com- better, completely better team than than the Giants, in my opinion. I don't think the Giants will make the playoffs, but again, it's it's completely possible for Pollard to go nuts, put up Eckler type numbers while Deuce Vaughn also being playable in fantasy. So I, I know you're a deuce guy. It's you can take them both. He's a big third down guy historically. Well, that's pretty much their entire offense. They act like it's third down every play. Now I know Kellen Moore's gone. It's going to be McCarthy. It may slow down a little bit, but Pollard in a pass heavy offense is, is green light for me. Yeah. Number three and see you not rate this guy yet either. Kind of tells me that we're on the same page here. Mm-hmm. I, I have Nick Chubb at number three. He's a guy who, if you look at like ESPN rankings for whatever reason, isn't 
super high up there. Uh, and when we talk about runners in the league, Nick Chubb is as elite as it gets. I mean, this dude is so damn good with the ball in his hands. Maybe the receiving aspect is the one thing that isn't, you know, up there for this, like CMC or Eckler or whatever. But as far as running back goes, he is as elite as it gets. And there's no cream hunt there anymore. So we're not going to see him, you know, switch, uh, you know, I don't even know what I was going to say, but like get part-time carries yeah. and whatnot. So we're going to see Chubb explode this year. I think the Browns are a bit of a better team as well, too, just well-rounded with the second year of Deshaun Watson being there and, you know, maybe him going back to the way that he was over, over in Houston football wise. That is, uh, Chubb, Chubb is going to have a great year. And I, I don't know why ESPN is so low on him. Yeah. I got him at three as well. Um, like you said, it's a better team. He's going to go crazy this year with Kareem Hunt gone. And I talked about it all day. I'm not trying to give up my entire strategy here for the draft this season. But if you're going to take a running back early, you better make sure he's on the field most of the game. And that's what Nick Chubb's going to be for Cleveland. Yeah. Number two, uh, I went with Eckler. I have never been a huge Eckler guy but just with how many touches he gets and how many receptions he gets, he's going to be in there just for the quantity of, of how much he's doing. You know, maybe the quality of the product he's putting out isn't anything nuts where it's like, oh, my God, this guy is 200 yards today or something like that. But he's going to have, you know, probably 25 touches a game, you know, when you all add up uh, rushes and probably seven or eight catches at that point as well, too. So. Eckler's going to be up there. He's just going to get the ball more than anybody else in the entire league. Mm -hmm. And that is why I have McCaffrey at number two. And I'll wait to explain everything. When we get to my number one. Okay. Uh, Then I guess I'll go to my number one, who is CMC, because he is better receiver than Eckler. He is better runner than Eckler. He is going to get more touchdowns than Eckler, and he's on a better team than Eckler. That's going to be running the ball more and having their offense more centralized around him rather than, you know, Eckler with the, with the chargers and Herbert going to, you know, all the receivers that he's had these past few years, as well as Clinton Johnston, who's new in that offense as well, too. Uh, CMC is a total package as a running back and he will be the best running back in football fantasy wise, if he stays healthy. So I went with Eckler obviously here at number one, I don't disagree with you about McCaffrey. I think you're right. I just feel like the 49ers don't really have to give him 30 touches a game. He'll have his games for sure, 100%. He'll have his games where he has two touchdowns, 30 touches, 46 fantasy points. But I think Eckler's just going to average around 30. (laughs) They have Kellen Moore now calling the plays. They need Austin Eckler more than ever in that situation. Again, look at what Pollard did last season. And he wasn't even on the field for more than 40% of the snaps. So I think Eckler with that kind of production will be unstoppable. You think uh, if you put Tony Pollard in Eckler's spot, he would do better? I I think Pollard's better than Eckler. I think they'd be very similar. And again, this probably won't uh, turn out to be more wins for the Chargers. Don't don't get it twisted, Kyle. I know, you know, the Raider fan over here. But fantasy-wise... This is a team whose offense is on the field the entire game because yeah. the defense is so terrible. I I feel like there's going to be more opportunities. But again, we're talking about like a 20-point difference here, in my opinion. So I, I don't mean to start arguing about nothing. 
I just am probably going to take Eckler over McCaffrey if I get the opportunity, of course. Yeah, we'll see. That's why you always finish last. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always finish like sixth, though. Get just missed <laughs> opportunity. Uh, but yeah, that's the, uh, here we go. Yeah. Now there's our list, top 12 running backs next week. Probably going to be the top 12 wide receivers and probably the, uh, I don't know, however many tight ends we're going to do. We're not going to do 12 tight ends because that's just going to be brutal. I thought uh, you were going to say, well, these are going to be the top 12 running backs. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously going to be wrong. Yeah, point. there's going to be somebody who we did not expect at all to be in here. Maybe Deuce Vaughn cracks the top 12. Uh, but uh, let's move into our layups and bowl predictions. Last week, we went checkered uh, two out of four for, for us. Each one, one out of two. Uh, I had the Dodgers winning on Thursday. That was a Lance Lynn start against Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns pitched well. So did Lance Lynn. Just the Dodgers got it done in late in the ball game. Many ways that they've done it in these past, you know, few or 12 years, I'd say, probably at this point. Uh, Skyler had the Ravens over the, how was said, the the native word. Uh, the Commanders on Monday Night Football yesterday. Skyler jinxed the team that couldn't fucking lose. In apologize. In their first loss since like 2015 or something. I can't believe Skyler did it. Shout out Sam Howell. Uh, so Skyler gets a red there to... Unfortunately, end the Raven streak. Uh, this week, I have the M's over the White Sox on Tuesday, which is today. Uh, just because we're doing the episode early, it allows us to use those Tuesday games as well, too. So, Mariners stay hot. That's a Brian Wu start over uh, Mike Clevenger and the White Sox today. Interesting. Uh, college football here. It, it's back. I don't care if it's week zero. We got to have a, a college football bet in there. So Navy's going to cover 20 and a half points. They almost beat them last year. And this is Sam Hartman's first year. It's understandable if they start off slow. They're probably going to kill them, but let's keep it to 20 points. Yeah. Uh, last week, bull prediction, I had Adam Wainwright gets win at number 199 versus the Mets on Thursday. He pitched well. Just their offense couldn't do anything for him. So, uh, unfortunately, Wayno does not get that win, and he's still looking for win 99 and one win number 200, which looks like they're probably not going to happen with how he's been pitching this year and how bad the Cardinals are. So that's unfortunate. Uh, Skyler had Boston wins three-game series at New York, ending all hope for the Yankees. We could go with the dark green there because Skyler not only got that correct, but Boston swept the series in New York. So... Shout out Boston for, uh, again, ruining all hope for the Yankees this season uh, in 2023. This week, uh, my bold prediction is Kyle Harrison gets the W in his MLB debut today. Somebody who I've played travel ball with in the past. So we, we know what he's got there uh, and face him in high school as well, too. So uh, Kyle Harrison, hopefully you do well in your big league debut. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, even though you are playing for the cross, not cross town rivals, the cross a rivals in the San Francisco Giants. Absolutely. Before we moved on, I was going to mention, you know, the era of, of baseball that we played in Northern California growing up. It's those are the guys starting to make the majors now. So it's it's always exciting because, like you said, we've seen these guys play before. We don't necessarily know them, but we're always going to root for the NorCal guys. And 
Off topic here, my bold prediction is going to be some football. Jonathan Taylor will not be traded before week one. I think it's BS. I don't think they're actually going to trade him. And if they do, they're not going to get a first rounder from it. And uh, that's going to take them more than two weeks to realize. So it's not going to get done in time. He just wants a uh, Herschel Walker type return. That's all he's asking for. Yeah, and then we cut everybody and get 12 picks. That's why they changed and made the compensation rounds. Anyway, that's a whole nother day. That's going to do it, though, for uh, episode 154. Shout out Ian, who's in Spain now. Yeah. uh, Across the world, pretty much. Uh, Good luck, man. I know he loves the number 54. Next week, episode 155. Again, we'll be back with the wide receivers and tight end rankings. We'll be a week off from the NFL in-depth season preview, which is always fun to do. Uh, Baseball stuff, of course. Maybe some more college football. And, of course, the bets and the opener and and all that good stuff in there as well, too. So we'll see you next week in episode 155. Make sure you keep your uh, stick on the ice. Yes, sir. Keep that stick on the ice. And let's have a great final season for the Pac-12. It's going to be so exciting. No one's going to care about it outside of the West Coast. But those games are going to be absolute shootouts every night. So I'm excited, man, for all kinds of football. We'll see you next week, babe. Yeah.